Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Origins. I'm your host, as always, John Kelly, a.k.a. John the Marketer on Instagram and TikTok, and you're tuned in. It's our nationwide search. We're looking for entrepreneurs that have a story to tell. And from Austin, Texas, right here in my home state of Texas, I've got Chad Price. He's with Kettlebell Kings. Chad, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you. Absolutely, man. It is my pleasure as always. I know we've been talking before the show. I have a bad habit of doing that with guests. I'm excited for this episode, excited to hop into who you are, where you came from, all of that stuff. But before we get started, we always start out with an icebreaker question. And today's icebreaker question is what type of person do you love working with the most? Um, if I had to, you know, pick the person I love to work with the most, it'd probably be, you know, the high energy sales guy. Um, I like when I kind of know that I can let that part go to someone else and, you know, I don't have to be the, the salesperson. It allows me to, to sit back a little bit more and work on the operation and, um, not have to focus on revenue as, as much as I, as much as, you know, as normal entrepreneurs have to, I should say. Yeah. Those high, high, uh, energy salespeople were pretty awesome. I mean, I, you know, I have to brag for a second and just say it, it's cool to have people like us around, but <laughs> all joking aside, I mean, you're hundred percent right. That's you know, not necessarily just the salesperson specifically, but anybody who is high energy, having fun, yeah. enthusiastic, passionate about what they're doing, what they're selling, you know, when it has reason behind what they're doing, that gets me excited too. And that's kind of what I love about the agency that I work for is it's made up of friends of mine from high school. It's made up of people that we know, we trust, and we consider to be friends. And all of us are kind of the same, you know, when you come into the office, you never know what you're going to walk into. Like we, we call ourselves ADHD marketing quite a bit because <laughs> you could walk into us adopting a dog one day or working on a client's website one day, yeah. or, you know, recording podcasts or video content for social media. Like you never know what you're going to have. And it seems like we have a, a good mix of people who are all similar in the aspect of having that passion behind what they do. And enjoying it to the point that it becomes that high energy feeling, man. When you think you're walking into like a, a Grant Cardone, you know, 10x event every day that you go to work, it definitely makes it a whole lot more fun. Yeah, it, make, it makes it a lot easier to get to get through the hard times for sure, too. Yeah, the hard times, man. And they will always come. That is for sure. I saw something. I've been watching this new show on Peacock and um, it, it kind of goes along with this same thing. I think the show is called Killing It. And it's just so funny how in that, you know, you have like those personas of those people who always want you to hustle and run yourself into the ground and just suffer. And that's something that she had told him was she was like, you know, just keep suffering because it's always going to come. And it's like, that's the bad side of things like the pro hustle culture that we have. But on that other side, kind of what the episode was trying to get across to them was you're never going to have a moment as an entrepreneur when you gain what you were looking for, you get to that spot that you were looking for, there's always going to be another battle that you're going to have to go over. 
And it does absolutely make it a whole lot easier if you're going into battle with your friends and or people who you can consider friends because they're like you and they've got that energy to just pick up and keep going on. Because even though that's not what we want to do is have to hustle every single day, at some point you're going to have to hustle and why not hustle with somebody that's next to you that's got that same energy and is bringing that same thing to the battlefield. For sure. Well, before we hop into it, the last bit of housekeeping we always take part in is talking about our sponsors. And today's sponsor is Wingman. And if you're tired of juggling multiple platforms for your marketing and sales needs, it's time to revolutionize your business operations with Wingman. It's an all-in-one marketing automation software designed by experienced marketers who understand your struggles. It's a game changer that combines the best tools to streamline your communication, automate your workflows, and grow your business. You can capture leads using landing pages, surveys, forms, and more and nurture them with personalized messages via voicemail, SMS, emails, and even Facebook Messenger. And you can close those deals with built-in tools to collect payments, schedule appointments, and track analytics. Say goodbye to multiple marketing tools and hello to Wingman, your unified platform for all of your business needs. Enhance your online presence, manage your reputation effectively, and cultivate leads effortlessly. If you're ready to take your business to new heights, visit TrustYourWingman.com today and let Wingman be your co-pilot to success because every business needs a wingman. But Chad, we're here to talk about you, man. We're here to talk about you, Kettlebell Kings. But before we get into the business side of things, we always ask one question, and that's where did you come from? How'd you get into entrepreneurship? Tell us your origin story. Sure. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a small town here in Texas. So, you know, I'm born and raised here, Texas, Texas bred, uh, you know, grew up playing every sport underneath the sun. And that culminated after, you know, I graduated from high school with me going to Rice University on a football scholarship. Um, from there, I, I left and went into corporate America, worked tons of different jobs, you know, outdoor sales, construction, um, ended up in oil and gas before I started my entrepreneurship journey. And then that led me to start Kettlebell, Kettlebell Kings. And I started Kettlebell Kings at the same time. I started a nail salon and about eight years into starting Kettlebell Kings, um, I started the company that I'm, I'm CEO of now, Life Grows Green. Um, in 2021, at the end of 2021, right, 2022, we ended up actually getting acquired by a larger company for Kettlebell Kings. And so I'm still, right now, I'm kind of in that transitional period, finishing that acquisition and kind of now focusing on the next chapter where started Life Grows Green, finished my first book, which you mentioned earlier, kind of get, having the right mindset for battle. My book is named Preparing for Battle. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Man, that's amazing. So what is it that Kettlebell Kings does exactly? Well, we started Kettlebell Kings in 2012. And the idea around the company was really to build a health and wellness company but have that as be the centerpiece of it. So, you know, at the time, the kettlebell as a piece of fitness equipment, it was somewhat known, but it was kind of growing in popularity. CrossFit was kind of just starting. That was the more familiar area when people would think of a kettlebell. But there was no kind of street brand or cool brand that took the kettlebell and made it a lifestyle as well as a community that you could kind of use that as your centerpiece. And so we really wanted to see ourselves as like the ESPN of the kettlebell world, where you're bringing all of this information and um, you know all of the user-generated content that exists together so that organizations can work together better and really it can be a kind of a superstore for a kettlebell enthusiast. 
And that led to us having, you know, our own series of kettlebells and we're working with, you know, the top kettlebell athletes in the world. So we just were continuing to expand and the acquisition that um, we went through was kind of a global acquisition in, in order to kind of fulfill the expansion dreams of the, of the brand. So was that an exit you were preparing for from the moment that you created that company or was this something that just kind of popped up as an opportunity? Not at all. I mean, honestly, I, I wish we would have kind of had the foresight to see that in COVID and everything else that kind of uh, hit us along the way. But, you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, ignorance can kind of be um, bliss at some points in, in entrepreneurship. We didn't know where we we're going to go with the brand. We knew we, we needed to generate it to a point where it was having sustainable income that either us as owners or someone else would want to own. You know, we kind of talked about that prior to the company existing. We didn't want it to be, you know, a brand that required us to work there forever in order to exist. And so really kind of meeting those kind of initial milestones allowed us to say, okay, now do we want to start paying ourselves some type of salary from the company or do we want to start positioning it for an exit? And because it was such an inventory heavy uh, company, financing is is going to be kind of inevitable if you're talking about going into the European market or Australia and things like that. And so because of the inventory needs, that really just kind of led us to the, the acquisition being a better proposal for the owners. But this is something that you're still actively involved in. So you're not exiting completely. You're still kind of taking part in some of the operations. It was a three-year acquisition. Um, and now, actually, the uh, the acquisition happened, like I say, at the end of uh, 2021, right at 2022. And within that first kind of three-month time period, we, had, we were actually acquired by another company. And so as of now, as of today, we're officially uh, in litigation with the company that acquired us, second, the second company that acquired us due to some of the stipulations in the in the original agreement that we had so it's technically still going on it's a three-year agreement and it's kind of being worked out hopefully by the our litigators at this point absolutely so that just kind of prepared you or maybe even gave you some funds to start getting into some more passion projects is that what happened yeah, I wouldn't even call it a passion project you know I think it's one of those things that I kind of learned over time that you know, like I said, I started a nail salon at the same time I started Kettlebell Kings and really seeing my company be helpful to people kind of inspires me and drives me a little bit more to to kind of double down on those types of ideas. When I was having the ability to reach and help people through health and wellness of the fitness side of things, what, where I wasn't really able to help them is with kind of the products and whether that's just the topicals and the adjustables that they're using on the daily basis or just the products that they purchase in their natural lifestyle. And so I wanted to create a brand that had a community of people who shared the, the idea that we can use natural products as much as we can. Obviously, there, you know, there are going to be times where, um, you know, plastics or pharmaceuticals will be a better option for a lot of things. But where we can, we should be using, I think, you know, more sustainable and uh, natural products in, in, in replacements of anything that's toxic or, or harmful to us. So that's talking about utilizing hemp to create these products versus using something like having to cut down trees for paper products or any of those sure. types of things. Sure. I think it's, I think it starts there. I think hemp <laughs> is, a, you know, the way I see the brand, if you look at our product lineup right now, it is going to be a lot of hemp derived products. 
but we, you know, we are also expanding on the brand on a regular brace on a regular basis. So, you know, everything from the, the traditional lifestyle products that you have, the glassware, you, you know, your bedding, um, the, the type of pillow that you use, everything that you can think of when you talk about having a natural lifestyle, trying to remove as, as many chemical pollutants from your existence as possible. You know, I think that's something that we can all see would, would be beneficial. And right now there's not really a brand or a marketplace that gives us the ability to determine which products are best in that, in that sense. And so I, I want to create a brand that focuses on that kind of concept as the main goal. And just as literally trying to bring natural products to uh, affordable as, as we can to, to the market. I've seen so much in just my 35 years of, of life here. I've seen so much back in the 90s and early 2000s about hemp replacement products and how there are so many things like, you know, hemp paper and, and these types of things. And excuse my ignorance not being able to explain all of it just because I'm not in the industry, so I don't have specific knowledge. And that's why I kind of come to you as helping to expand on this information, but it's always been so suppressed because when people think of hemp related products or hemp derived products, they always think of THC, marijuana, weed, doing drugs. Like it just automatically, the war on drugs was successful in making all of us hate this gateway drug. But obviously when you're talking about hemp derived products, we're talking about something totally outside of the THC realm of things. We're talking about just using the natural plant itself in order to, make these other products. So what is it that makes hemp so renewable and such a good option for this? And then, you know, provides these types of products to us. I mean, like you were saying before, it, it, there's so many different products that can be made from the plant. So the, the crop itself can yield so many different end products. And if it hadn't been, you know, for the marketing efforts of the government, frankly, um, then, you know, we wouldn't be in this current situation. It would be a part of our everyday culture. It would be a major replacement for a lot of the plastics and the especially um, plastic material that we throw away, kind of the one use uh, op like options that we currently have. They could all be replaced by hemp and natural products that they don't, you know, poison the ocean. They naturally biodegrade. Um, you know, they're able to basically be used and then give right back to the earth and, and just be regenerative kind of it rather than having a, a toxic approach to the planet. Have you seen any type of issue with, you know, these big chemical manufacturing plants and companies and, you know, the ones who are really the driving force behind, honestly, this whole recyclability scheme that they have come up with, which, you know, if you actually look into recycling, it's a total scam. It's 100% funded by the exact people who want you to buy their products so that they make you think that you're doing something great. And then I think it was something astronomical, like 70 or 80% of what you think you're recycling winds up getting dumped in the ocean or in someone's backyard in a country that is, you know, trying to grow and increase their infrastructure. And then all of a sudden just becomes a problem for other people in our world. So have you noticed any type of friction in the industry that may be driven by that? Well, I mean, I think that's a part of the problem. And a lot of these situations have been protected. You know, these companies have been protected by laws put in place and and by kind of these marketing efforts. The war on drugs is just being, you know, one major one. Um, but there's been tons of efforts to 
withhold natural solutions in favor of chemical or uh, you know pharmaceutical solutions, and that's really what it boils down to. And I think there are people who are starting to wake up to the idea that natural is better than the chemical or the pharmaceutical solution, and especially if there are side effects or you know non-regenerative products that are being created plastics in our ocean and in our food sources and literally in every single thing that we consume is a problem at this point and it's only going to continue to get worse so things like hemp can drastically decrease the amount of plastics that we use and get dumped back into uh into the ecosystem and you know overall i think there's not going to be a single scientist that says that, that that's not helpful you know that's something that I've really begun to learn about this year is microplastics and how just eating mussels, for instance, which are in the ocean and absorb everything that's in that ocean, including microplastics, means that in the end, when you're the predator that's eating that species, all of a sudden now you're ingesting these microplastics as well. And that's a huge problem. And I don't think this is something that the masses are kind of awake to see. I think that this is something that is kind of hidden, whether that is, you know, as part of a strategy by these companies. Big Pharma, for instance, is not even something I thought about. And I'm very close into the medical THC side of things. Like I'm seeing this stuff firsthand and realizing that, yeah, I mean, Big Pharma, who has always been a player in rigging the game for themselves, obviously would kind of push into this kind of stuff. So what is it exactly that your company is doing? Are you creating these products for use? So I'm trying to create, you know, a culture and a community of people who can help. Like the the product lineup you see right now is just the beginning of that, of that journey. You know, I take that product lineup. I ask people how they like that product lineup, what other products do they want? And I'm continuously in new product development and R and D pretty much forever. I try to source the best that I can find from around the world. So, you know, if that's overseas, then great. If that's here in America, then great. I'm literally trying to be as transparent as possible and just bring the highest sourced quality uh, that I can get to, to whatever product that I have. I don't even see it as, you know, something that needs to kind of be stagnant or stay the same. It's, it's literally to support community of people who have a like-minded idea and that's the concept that I kind of get from from my journey with Kettlebell Kings is it never was up to me what the perfect kettlebell was. Like, I'm not the guy who decided this is the perfect kettlebell. That was decided by professionals and experts from all around the world who I gathered together, got feedback from, made changes here, there, until we came up with something that could unanimously be agreed upon. It's, it's great. So what is your book about? I know we're transitioning there, but I feel like all of this is probably going to obviously play into why you wrote the book and then what the book entails. You know, why should I pick this up off of a shelf or or off of Amazon and read it? I mean, when I'm, when I'm trying to think about, you know, the journey of Kettlebell Kings, obviously the acquisition gave me some kind of time to reflect and perspective on that journey. You know, it, it ended up being a 10 year journey, almost exactly 10 years. Um, going through that process. So I thought it was a good time to kind of recap and try to put down my thoughts and any ideas that could help someone who would go through a similar journey starting today. Um, 
the book is about, you know, it's called preparing for battle because, you know, I see entrepreneurship as a series of battles, you know, life is a series of battles as well, especially depending on your circumstances. Um, but entrepreneurship definitely is a series of battles. You're, there's no entrepreneur that doesn't have to deal with problems. You have to deal with the hardest problems of your company. Um, you know, it, it gets funneled up to you. So, you know, your day to day operation is usually dealing with problems that someone else couldn't solve. And, when you have to do that on a regular basis, I think having the correct mindset for not letting that kind of discourage you and kind of bring your spirits down and having the self-awareness to put things in place to prepare yourself for that before you get started, I think is, is crucial. Sports helped me do that quite a bit. So I talk about my experiences in sports and how that translates to me understanding or me having a more of appreciation for the, the grind that it takes of entrepreneurship. Um, but, you know, also try to give you other examples to try to just put you in the correct state of mind for, um, the potential situations that you put yourself in unknowingly when you start this journey, because there's, there's no way that you're going to predict all the problems that are going to come. It's going to be more about how you adapt and overcome those problems when they, when they present themselves. So is it fair to say this is kind of a preparatory book for those who want to be an entrepreneur or may be an entrepreneur? whether they're starting their journey out or they're in the middle of a struggle right now, this is something to pick up and read and kind of learn from your past and how you dealt with these situations in order to better prepare themselves for those battles that they're going to have as an entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's going to tell you my story and why and how I came to, came to some of my philosophies. You know, I go back and talk about in high school, uh, you know, one of the the key moments or the key Eureka moments for me in high school, we won the state championship in high school in football. And that doesn't have anything to really do with business, but it was the first time that I had seen an individual come in and that was our head coach come in and change a culture so drastically. And then that culture lead to success. And that was like, you know, it was a Eureka moment for me. I was like, okay, well, no, it can be done. You just need to have these types of things in place, these types of concepts need to be, you know, a priority to everyone. And you have to instill that amongst a group of people in order to really achieve these lofty goals that you set. And once I saw that, I knew, you know, from there, from there on, these are the types of teams and the type of people that I want to be around. That's what I want to build around. So I try to take a lot of that and cross-reference that to how I did that with Kettlebell Kings and the success I was able to get there. And then, you know, how I'm trying to do that into my journey moving forward. I think this stuff is all 100% relevant and extremely important because I'm the type of person that I think that I am where I am today because, you know, mindset wise, because of the preparation or even sometimes the lack of preparation that I had in my childhood or growing up you know, those struggles and all of that stuff. I mean, it just comes down to you can't become a sharper knife without destroying part of that knife in order to rebuild it. You know what I'm saying? You've got to rough up that edge and smooth it off and make it better by going through some shit. Like you don't get yeah. to just, you're not someone who gets to have a nice, beautiful, pampered life. And maybe this exists, but I don't think it's as well. I don't think that it's something that happens as often as we all think you know, where you have this nice pampered life and you're given this big trust fund and you walk into success and you just make this great company out of all of these resources you were given all of your life. Like I think some of the greatest entrepreneurs and the majority of them are people who come from struggle, from hardships, who have learned these lessons. And it doesn't necessarily have to be struggle either. It could just be a very well 
piece of advice that was given or, you know, something that was done for you at a certain time that was pivotal in that moment for you. And, and what I mean with that is, you know, those lessons that my dad taught me being an entrepreneur himself, dragging me around at five, six, seven years old, uh, all the way until I started working for him at 12 years old, dragging me from job site to job site and learning what it took to earn the money that he was out there going after. You know, that is something that's important. That's why I believe in these football programs in Texas is because, you know, my son playing freshman football right now for Tomball High School, and that is exactly what I drill into him every single day is that when you go out there to play that sport, your mindset has to shift. You're no longer meek, mild, little Camden who's friends with everyone and loves everyone and wants everyone to be happy and get together and have fun and be friends. Like when you get on the the football field, that's a battlefield. And you have to prepare yourself for battle. And if you're not going against that O-line, who is much bigger than you because he is a short kid, if you're not going against them with this fierceness inside of you that just almost says, I want to kill this other guy that's standing in front of me, but draw it back just a little bit from that. Like if you're not going in with that mindset, then you're not going to succeed. Because when you're a short kid who's stout, you got to use muscle and you got to use your you know, weight gain in the proper areas with muscle growth. And you got to use that gym to your advantage and put yourself into that battle mindset and take that with you there. And it's like those little lessons that you capture along the way, they stick with you, man, because everything I've ever been through, whether it was in high school, childhood, or early adulthood, every single lesson I've ever learned sticks with me when I get on a fire truck and I'm preparing for battle inside of a building that's on fire or with a person who's dying or with anything that's going on all the way down to the mundane task of mopping the floor to make sure that the floors are clean so that the medics and firefighters have a clean place to prepare themselves for work whenever they're at the station and waiting on that call. Like every single piece really lines up with what you're doing in total, what your absolute goal is to get out of whatever it is you're doing. And you're right with entrepreneurship, you have to go back to those things because you're going to have those battles where it's a competitor that you're trying to kill in that space, you know, and to get over and make something better than what they're doing in order to annihilate that ocean, you know, that you go to, to be the shark that's in that ocean. When it comes to dealing with employees who work for you, you know, those subordinates, how you treat them, I think stems from what you learned in high school of how teachers taught you, how your parents taught you, how all of these, you know, the first jobs that you had, how you had good leaders that you learned from and took pieces away from, and then you had bad leaders that you said, you know what, when I promote to lieutenant at the fire department, I never want to be that lieutenant that I worked for. I never yeah. want to do that to my people. Like all of that stuff plays in and all of that to, to ask this question. And that is, what is your why? Why is this so important to you that you wrote a book about it, that you are in these spaces and doing these things? Like, what is your mission? I mean, with the book, for sure, is to, you know, to kind of get the message out there that the mindset is is very important to to conquering entrepreneurship leadership and you know having a successful life you know i think a lot of people don't understand that part of it um especially people who are skilled enough to let's say have an uh, to be an entrepreneur or to run their own business but they might not have the will or the the perseverance required for actually owning and competing in in a competitive space no one wants your business to, to be successful more than you will want it to be successful. And that's one of the things that 
I think, you know, you talk about it in football, you learn that very early, like you have to have more will than your competitor. He can outwill you over, over time. And that will happen in business as well. Even though you may be the better option, you may be a better product, but if another person has more will than you, they're going to outwork you and they're going to eventually take your customers. Um, for me, putting those kind of conceptual thoughts together is what I wish I could understand a lot more, even, even when I was younger, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, I spent so much time learning about things that ended up somewhat being irrelevant, especially because, you know, we grew up at, you know, I'm not sure how old you are, but I I was there when Facebook first started. So, you know, when Facebook started, the, the ideas around marketing and the ideas around social communities that changed so much from the marketing books that I read when I was in high school or when I even freshman, even in college, um, you know, there were no, there were no social media marketing books when I was in college that started with my business journey. And I think people starting their journey right now will find themselves in similar situations that it's more important that you have the will and the, the mindset to be a, a lifelong learner and to be an expert in your field, to stay ahead of, you know, what the books are saying, you know, you, you should be preparing, based off your real world experience, because you're, you're actually out there trying to execute. So, you know, I tell everybody to, to find a way that you can actually practice and look back at your film and get better. And then that's going to really calibrate you for entrepreneurship versus thinking you can gorge yourself on information and you're going to be the smartest kind of machine that can memorize how to, how to get through any situation. It's just, it's just not practical to think that way. Yeah. I think the most important asset, that could come for any entrepreneur is being able to roll with the punches and problem solve. Yeah. You know, it's something I try to drive home to my kids every single day, how important it is, not just because when I want you to change the battery in the smoke detector, you should look at the smoke detector and figure <laughs> yeah. out how to get the battery out without me having to say, get yeah, out of my way and let me do it. I but, like that one. I'm going to take, yeah, like take that one for sure. I mean, <laughs> hey, it happened. Like that is true yeah. life. This is an argument I'm having yeah. with my 14 year old in his bedroom. I'm like, you're the one that's up there. Pull the smoke detector down. Pull the battery out. Well, how do you do it? It's clamped somewhere, somehow. I'm not up there. I can't see it. Figure it out. And it's and like. it's a mindset. It's, and yeah, it's a mindset. It because it has to nothing to do with the level. smoke detector. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to do with the battery. And yeah. nothing to do with the skills of knowing how any of that yeah. stuff works. It's just being yeah. able to figure out this is something new that I've never seen before. How do I operate it? Because it goes so much further beyond being able to change a battery or take care yeah. of your family or anything else, man, it goes up to just like you said, Facebook came out, you know, we were all on MySpace. I don't know if you were on yeah, MySpace, was on MySpace but that yeah. was my jam. I'm still <laughs> mad to this day how we did yeah. my boy, Tom, We did, uh, yeah, you know, because I never wanted to switch to yeah. Facebook. I had a mu- music on my profile. I know it was, it was the best thing <laughs> yeah, ever, man. It awesome, and it's yeah. like, so thinking about that from an entrepreneurial perspective and marketing your company, if someone had been along, along this path longer than we have, and when MySpace and Facebook's transition was occurring, if they were already a business owner, already 40 or 50 years old and had been in this game marketing their company, they had to problem solve and come up with a whole new way to market their company or yeah. possibly face having to either exit their company earlier than they wanted to for less money than they wanted to, whatever the case may be, because they weren't able to take their company and move it beyond what they were so used to with the traditional advertising efforts. I mean, even at this point in time, we're talking about the internet was still kind of in its infancy, you know, as far as the marketing side of things and SEO and search engines being so popular. And 
I'd be willing to bet at that time, Google probably wasn't even the number one search engine that was out there. And now it sets the standards for SEO. Yeah. I mean, there were no real quote unquote digital brands, um, you know, where you solely existed as a digital entity. You know, when we started Kettlebell Kings and we reached out to people, people who are, you know, seasoned business professionals, they, a lot of them had a hard time conceptually conceptualizing how we would make money because they're like, well, where, where are you going to be? And it's like, well, all of our stuff will be in fulfill, fulfillment centers. Where, where's the office going to be? Where are people going to work? Everyone's going to be a remote worker. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how it's going to work. This is, you know, this is, this is technology coming together with business, business models and, those types of things are still happening right now and they're they're happening even faster you know we talk about ai is a i think ai is a bigger deal than social media is and it's the next internet they don't realize it yet it's it's a bigger deal in terms of how we will actually take a conceptual idea of what a brand is and then turn it into that without ai you won't do that in the future so not understanding that as a as an entrepreneur will be something like you know, kind of going at going out and trying to start a business in 2012 without understanding social media. It's why AI is so built into everything that we do as a marketing agency, because we recognize that this is the next, you know, it's not that it is internet or replaces the internet, right? It's just a part of, you need internet, I think, in order to run AI very well and spread what it's doing and be able to access all the information. Without internet, you don't have AI. Um, But my point about it being the next internet is that we saw these very same markers when the internet was coming out of, you had some people saying, this is the greatest thing ever. We're going to utilize it. We're going to make something out of it. And those people became dot-com billionaires. And then you had another group of people that said, now this is a fad. What are you going to do? Carry it around in your pocket all day. That is crazy. You got to have these giant computers bigger than the room this guy's sitting in right now. And then you look at it and you're like, wow, we couldn't fathom the change that internet was. So instead of saying, let me learn it, utilize it and make it work for me, I ignored it. And then all of a sudden I missed out on billions of dollars that could have been mine. And then with AI, I think we're doing the same thing. Those of us who are adopting it are taking part in it. We're problem solving. We're seeing how it works for us. We're seeing its weaknesses and not utilizing it for that. We're seeing its weaknesses and you know how it's going to change, for instance, content with you know, SEO being out there. And it's like, if all you're doing is generating content by AI and posting that stuff, we're already seeing Google's algorithms say, yeah, we don't want that. That's not real quality, valuable information that needs to be put out there. And so it's like, learn it, utilize it and be that next billionaire off of AI. Because if you're not, you're going to be left in the dust because we can't fathom what AI is going to do for us. The changes that are going to come because of it and what we're going to be able to do, because right now we may be able to say, you know, Hey, but it's only limited by what it has. How is it going to learn? And it's like, dude, already in a lab, this is 10 to 20 years ahead of what we're even seeing in a lab somewhere is top secret information. So just know that this stuff is definitely going to change. And I think it all goes into what you're talking about in your book and with everything else of being able to just shift your mindset problem solve, see how these new challenges can be beneficial to you and then benefit off of it. And ultimately, if you're a good entrepreneur, profit off of it. For sure. I mean, even, you know, we had so many examples with Kettlebell Kings that when we started, you know, people were like, well, how are people going to physically feel the product? Like no one's going to buy something for 50 pounds and and get it in the mail. And we would tell people like, no, you don't understand the future. People are going to stop going into retail stores altogether. So 
the retail chains that you're so, you know, enthralled about going to on the weekends, that's going to slowly die off as we become more connected through the digital, the digital channels or digital platforms that exist. You're having that kind of same thing happen with AI. There will be another thing that will happen in five or 10 years. And understanding that you need to be, have the self-awareness to see and to kind of go with these types of things, takes advantage of these types of things, I think what makes the entrepreneurs most successful. So a successful idea can only be successful if you're taking advantage of these types of tools like the internet, social media, AI, you know, the things that can really scale and kind of exponentially um, grow your own efforts. So are you working hardest on, I mean, obviously you're trying to spread the message of this book. You're trying to finish up your acquisition for Kettlebell Kings is the hemp, business your products and stuff that you're creating is that the most important thing you have going on entrepreneurial entrepreneurially speaking i don't even know if that's a word but you know like is that what we're we're focused on right now for the main goal of what you're trying to accomplish that that's my main company right now yes and then i'm also doing consulting you know i have chadprice.com so i'm also doing uh, consulting work through there Um, i do speaking engagements and workshops so um, i try to basically teach the same kind of concepts of, you know, the, like a a workshop I have is like applying, you know, sports concepts to the business playing field and really just trying to get people to see those alignments and recognize you. I mean, I think you brought up a good point. We all know a bad coach. We all know bad players. We, we can recognize those characteristics and make sure that we're accounting for those or making sure we're not allowing employees to influence the rest of our organization the way we've seen these things happen in the past, whether that's at a job experience or in a, you know, a sports experience. And so for me, I'm always trying to kind of work with any company that wants to grow that idea of them being a more well-oiled machine and a more cohesive unit that performs better at whatever task the company has set for them. What has been your biggest challenge so far with that? What are what kind of obstacles are you up against? Um, I mean, t- tons. You know, I think COVID presented obstacles for everyone. Uh, yeah. You know, it is very interesting for me. I, COVID. I had two businesses when COVID started: the nail salon and the 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 fitness business. The fitness business did tremendous. So, home fitness grew by. Tenfold, every single person wanted wanted to figure out how they were going to do their home fitness routine. The problem was just literally keeping things in stock. Um, You know, we didn't have enough. We didn't have enough financial resources in place to to quell the demand. So, you know, we should have done 10 times the amount of sales that we actually ended up doing um, that being kind of our mistake. But then at the same time, I had another company that because of COVID completely shut down for six months. And that presented its own set of, of obstacles. And the way that ended up working out, the lease actually ended during that period. And we would have had to sign a new lease and pay the back rent um, for that lease. And so I ended up actually shutting that entire operation down during COVID. So I think like those types of obstacles are just inevitable in business where you're really just dealing with the circumstances that are being presented to you. You are, you know, you're going to try your hardest to generate revenue and stick to the original goals of the company that you started. Um, but as a business professional, you know, you have to be prepared to make decisions that are decisive and are what's best for everyone. Uh, you know, if I didn't shut the nail salon down, it wouldn't have worked out for 
it would have damaged basically my other operations and shutting it down at that particular time was the right business call. And, you know, a, a lot of times I think it's hard for, for people to see that when you're not as objective about strategic business making decisions and it's, you know, it's your baby. You can't, you know, you can't, can't get rid of my baby. So I try to help companies with that, just see the the big picture and, and see through all of the potential emotional or cultural or ego uh, issues that might be preventing you from just making a good business decision. Yeah. I mean, I think even if you are an objective thinker, that is such a hard position to be in where you've got to affect either way is a bad decision. And it's like, so you got to choose which one is the least worst decision so that you can choose the best option moving forward for everybody. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of like democracy. It's kind of like, um, you know, government politics, all that kind of stuff where you're in similar situations sometimes where it's like what you're going to do here may be bad for a small percentage of people, but overall, we have to do what's best for the majority of our people, you know, and I think that it absolutely plays into business where it's like, yeah, it, it sucks to have to let go of this nail salon and these people who work here, these people who promote this company, these people who come to the company. I mean, because, you know, that's yeah. something you got to think about, too, is your customers. You should care yeah. about them, too. But it's yeah. like, well, we can kind of cut off this small portion of things to keep the bigger operation going and what's going to have more success. And I think that's a, a hard decision for anybody. Yeah. And I, and I think it's it's inevitable in business in general. You know, if you're talking about the career of an entrepreneur, I don't think one business is ever the the average career of an entrepreneur. So the idea that every business is going to work or that you won't have to eventually shut business down, sell businesses, move on. you know, I think that's, um, would be a naive approach to, to business or to, to trying to build extreme wealth or life changing wealth for your family. Um, when I'm looking at it, I'm, constantly trying to keep my finger on the pulse of my businesses and then having been in this for so long use that kind of uh touch i have to to build pure objectivity for other businesses because i don't have any ego when i can come and analyze someone else's business it's it's very easy to just look at it and say you know this is where i think you're missing out on or there i can see potential very easy um and i think a lot of that comes from my sports background where I, I can watch a, a football game and I can tell you like, okay, this kid can't keep up with this kid. It's not personal, but it's just like, I can identify that very quickly. And, uh, you know, I think good coaches and good uh, NFL scouts or whoever, I think they, they kind of form that same level of just being able to see something one time or a couple of times and intuitively know what, which way to go. Yeah. It's, it's a skill. It's something I think that can be built, but it's something that has to be learned and something you have to kind of, Honestly, sometimes you got to fail to see or make the wrong choice to you gotta see fail more. Yeah. And, and that's I talk about in the book, you got to fail way more than you win. And I don't think people see that. Um, you know, they have no idea how many guesses I took on. Let's market kettlebells in this way. And they were wrong. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, but you don't know that you just know the ones that worked. And I think that's that's what you learn at practice. At, at practice for me, when I was growing up, I missed more free throws before I started making more than I missed. So, you know, I'd go out there and my dad would make me shoot a hundred free throws. I would miss 90 free throws, you know, and then eventually I was okay. Now I'm 50, 50, now I'm 60, 40. And it, it just keeps getting better and better. And that's how I look at business. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to put decisions in a way that I can practice and get better at them, observe what I've done in the past and make sure that I'm calculating any type of improvements that I can make and trying to measure those in, in my success moving forward. I think one of the most 
well-known but often forgotten examples of this is Michael Jordan. Yeah. You know, somebody who wanted to make it in so many different sports, wanted to be there, wanted to be a star, and failed in so many ways. And then we kind of get hyper-focused on the success, right? Because that's the one that got the publicity because that's what made it for you. And so I think it's the same thing with entrepreneurs where we see – this one successful company and we're like, Oh my God, this person's a genius and they've done so well. (laughs) And this is great. And then we kind of don't know about all the other stuff they did because this is when they got their moment in the spotlight. And it's like, well, Holy crap. They also had 10 other failed businesses, a divorce, you know, a kid that doesn't (laughs) talk to them, one that loves them, like all these other things that happen to entrepreneurs, true life stuff. And then finally you make your success. And I think it's just easiest for, easy for us to kind of forget that life is a struggle. Entrepreneurship is a struggle. You're going to have your ups. You're going to have your downs and you just got to keep your eye on the main goal and know what your goal is. And as long as you're moving towards that goal at all times, there's going to be COVIDs. You know, there's not just going to be just COVID is the only thing that we're going to go through in this decade. That's going to be a problem for us. There's going to be something else in 2025 or six or seven or this year there's going to be other challenges that are going to affect businesses as a whole. And it's just knowing that it's okay to make mistakes and fail and pivot. You know, maybe what you initially thought was your goal for kettlebell Kings when you first started it is something you had to kind of move away from because you realized, Holy crap, this isn't working. So how do I keep this being a thing? Yeah. I mean, and that's the kind of stuff I talk about in the book, especially is, kind of that having that ability to adapt like you say pivot from it's not necessarily i'm changing the idea of kettlebell kings it's still a company it still exists but i'm changing the mythology that i take to achieve whatever goal i might have so you know in sports you can't treat the guy who's bigger than you as the same way as you can the guy who's smaller than you You take advantage of the things that you have and so you know we would take advantage of being a small decisive team versus, you know, a large rogue, for example, you know, we know we can roll things out faster. So when we execute, that's the most important part of our execution is speed, because that's what can separate us from the competition. Having the self-awareness to know these types of things and to make them a priority in your team building and a, and a priority in how you execute orders, I think is a hard part of doing this. It. almost like you have to have a chain of command, you have to have respect amongst that chain of command. And then you also have to be able to place priorities over, you know, people's personal egos. And I get that a lot from my sports background where I don't have to like the person behind me to block for them. I'm still blocking for them with the same passion that I would if I liked them or not. And I try to foster that in every business that I'm working with. It sounds like I need to read the book because it sounds like we're very like-minded and this is good. So just kind of walk us through everywhere we can go to support you. I know chadprice.com. Where's the best place to buy the book? You know, how's the, the best way to connect with you, learn from you, all that stuff. Where do we need to go to support you? Sure. Um, you can, chatprice.com is a good place to start. Um, the book is on Amazon. So you can, you know, search Chad Price, Preparing for Battle on Amazon. You can you can find it there. But it's also all over all my social channels. So I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Real Chad Price. Um, but yeah, you can, you can find me on all of that. I am actually kind of promoting and touring somewhat. So, you know, I'm doing podcasts and things like that, but I'm also doing workshops and uh, speaker engagements where I'm trying to just kind of talk more about some of the concepts that I've learned and what I put into the book and how I, my philosophy on kind of managing teams and businesses. 
Man, I can't thank you enough for coming on today, sharing this information with us. I think anybody listening probably has some golden nuggets they walked away with today, just, you know, learning to you. So learning from you. So thank you for being on this tour, coming on this podcast and talking to us today. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Yeah, man. Always a pleasure for us and listeners. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Small Business Origins. As I say every single episode, we could not do this thing without you because it's you that makes a difference for these people who are on this show and for me who produces the show for you every single week. So catch our new episodes out every Thursday. We haven't missed one yet. We don't plan on it anytime soon. But as always for us, it's been another great episode, another wonderful entrepreneur. We'll see you on the next one. And as always, stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it. 